0: On today's episode, the Will Ferrell comedy, Strays, has been delayed by like two months. Amazon is going to start licensing out its original content. I I mean... I guess they're going to try to follow Sony's lead a little bit there. Also, Transformers Rise of the Beast now has a runtime, and it's a lot shorter than you might think it is. Zack Snyder seems to suggest that the only reason people didn't like his DC movies is because they were too dumb to understand it. Uh, James Gunn's Superman film. Can he still do it if the Directors Guild goes on strike? We'll talk about that. Speaking of strike, the Writers Guild of America is going on, but could the WGA sign an agreement with just one of the major studios and make movies with them while the other ones don't? AMC Theaters is tired of selling you M&M's, so they're going to start making their own brand of candy to sell you at the theaters. Is that good or bad for us? We'll discuss that in a little bit. Beetlejuice 2 now has an official release date, and we know the identity of Jenna Ortega's character. And the next 30 days are the most insane, packed, biggest movie 30-day, one-month period that we've had in four years, and we're going to count down our anticipation list of those. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campion Show starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Ammo Related Show on the Planet Earth, the John Campia Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day to have you, our international friends gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you information and context so you can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. Joining me here in the studio today, of course, we've got Ray Ora back there, uh, Jen Carpenter's back there, Jonathan Voiko running the show. Today is Wednesday. That is uh, our delightful Chris Carr's day off, so she's not here on Wednesdays. But most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We break it into two parts. In the first part of the show, we talk about predetermined topics. Then, in the second part of the show, we take your questions. If you'd like to get a question on the show, simply send it in to our tip link at streamelements.com/johncampia/tip. And maybe, if your question is appropriate to be used on our show, you'll see us read that off on the show. All right, guys. With that all down, let's get things started here with a couple of off the tops. And the first one is this. You know, one of the funniest trailers that came out of nowhere and completely caught me by surprise, Ray got me to watch it, was the new upcoming Will Ferrell dog comedy strays. This movie looks absolutely phenomenally hilarious. And Will Ferrell came out on stage at CinemaCon with one of the dogs, and gave their pitch of the movie, and that was also funny. If you guys haven't seen the trailer yet, I highly recommend looking for the Red Band trailer uh, because it is some of the funniest crap I've seen in a long time. It looks so good. Well, the movie was supposed to come out in under a month, but it just got delayed two months for a surprising reason. The writer's strike. Well, wait a minute, John, the movie's done. How could the writer strike affect it? It's actually kind of interesting. This comes to us from the folks at Deadline, who write the following. With Universal pushing R-rated comedy, Please Don't Destroy, from August 18th to Peacock, another R-rated movie, Strays, featuring the voices of Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx, is backfilling that date. Originally, Strays was supposed to open on June 9th, so just like a month from now. Uh, but the WGA strike is partly the reason for Strays' movie. An original body comedy like, uh, like this requires all the late-night TV talk show promotion it can get, and Strays was about to start screening to the press and kick off a junket in the near future. So basically, what they're basically saying here is that one of the big marketing strategies for Strays, which is again, a raunchy R-rated comedy, was going to be a lot of push and a lot of promotion sending out all the cast members on the late night talk show circuit. But the late night talk show circuit was the first set of shows to be impacted by the writer strike. They write their shows on a daily basis. And if there's no writers, they can't do a show. So I actually found it really interesting that the main impetus for them having to move this thing, and now they're going to keep their fingers crossed that, you know, come August that this writer strike will be settled. Because if it's not, maybe they'll bump it again. But they're saying, it's like, hey, if we can't have this key component of our promotion of the film, then we got to delay the film. And now I think that's fascinating because normally when we think of delays, we think of you know, production problems or reshoots or, you know, other things like that. But the fact that the writer strike is also having an impact on movies that are already done is actually kind of interesting. I, listen, guys, I cannot wait to watch his movie, Strays. I think it's going to be one of the best comedies of the year. Joyride is going to be the best comedy of the year, but I think... This movie, Strays, looks absolutely fantastic. Guys, question is for you. What do you think? Are you as bummed out as I am that we're going to have to wait a couple of extra months now to watch Strays? Is it understandable to you? Is it kind of surprising? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this. You know, we've been talking a lot about how Sony Studios is unique amongst most of the major studios in the sense that they are the only really studio that doesn't have their own primary streaming service, right? Paramount is Paramount Plus, Universal has Peacock, Warner Brothers has HBO Max, now just called Max. Disney obviously has Disney Plus and so on and so forth. Well, Sony let us know at CinemaCon, we talked about this before, that they're kind of positioning themselves to be like the arms dealer in this big arms race. They're just going to create content that all these other streaming services have to bid top dollar for to get on their streaming services, right? Well, with things like Morbius, they're lining up. (laughs) It's, It's gold, baby. It's absolute gold. Make that Morbius money. So apparently Amazon kind of likes that model and they're going to sort of follow it. Here's what's happening. Like right now, Amazon has their Amazon Prime Video. I don't even know what they call it. I I don't know what the actual official name of the video service is. If it's just Amazon Video, Amazon Prime, whatever. Prime Video, I think. But they have several fantastic original IP shows that they play, just like the other studios do, right? They got like Emmy award-winning shows like The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is fantastic. The Boys, which is incredible. Some great original films and all that kind of stuff. Well, Amazon is positioning themselves right now, according to a new story in IndieWire, to kind of become a hybrid where they are going to create their own streaming content, but they're also going to license that content out to other services to play for money. This comes to us from IndieWire. They write the following. Amazon Studios will soon license its original shows and movies to third-party platforms the newly formed Amazon MGM Studios distribution announced on Monday will license out Amazon Originals and continue to license MGM content worldwide, making Amazon Prime Video the first major streamer to enter syndication in such a big way. Will Netflix follow suit? Yeah, probably. So basically, here's what we're talking about. 48 hours ago, it would have been inconceivable, inconceivable, that it? I say, that... You could turn on Netflix and watch The Boys. Well, The Boys is is an Amazon exclusive. I mean, we ourselves, me, I used to say like last year and whatever that in the world of the streaming wars, exclusive IP will be king because that's what differentiates your streaming service from somebody else's streaming service is what IP is exclusive to yours. You want to watch Mandalorian? Okay, great. The only place you can watch it is Disney Plus. You want to watch Watchmen? Well, the only place you can watch Watchmen is on HBO Max and so on and so forth, right? Well, as the model for the streaming services is starting to get deconstructed, because remember, in the beginning, there was light and there was like the streaming services were merging out of the primordial ooze. And taking shape. And we thought, everybody thought, streaming services, that's it. It's all streaming services, completely divorced from the old television model, no commercials, one tier, exclusive content only, right? But what have we seen happening over the past number of months and in this past year? That model of streaming has been slowly falling apart. It started with different tiers. Then they started introducing commercials. Now granted certain tiers don't have commercials, but now most of the streaming services have some form where they have commercials just like they did before on the old television thing. And now they're talking about being able to syndicate or syndicate all the stuff that they have and and have it out there. Now, this could be key because this is some of this is just some of the content here on my screen that Amazon is going to be looking to that other streaming services can come and pick up the boys, the new Ben Affleck movie air, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Goliath hunters Borat 2, coming to America, the Rocky movies, the bond movies, the creed movies. One of the most award laden shows lately, the last number of years, the handmaid's tale Vikings, which I love Fargo without remorse. I mean, this is a lot of type of content that a lot of other studios going to line up. Now, Here's the interesting thing, too. Amazon Studios is going to be now unique amongst the major streamers that they're going to take their original content, which will stay on Amazon, but also play other places if they want to license it. But Amazon is also the only one of the major streaming services that you can't just get the streaming service. Like if you want to get HBO Max, you can go get HBO Max. If you want to get Disney Plus, you don't have to first buy a membership to Disneyland in order to get Disney Plus. You can just get Disney Plus. But with Amazon Video, you can't just get Amazon Video. You have to get the full fledged Amazon Prime service with free delivery and all that kind of nonsense. So Amazon is actually really setting up a lot of things that are making them completely unique. And you know what? The IndieWire article is asking the question. Netflix, which has been exploring a lot of different ways to try to generate revenue, they probably won't be far behind. Now, like, the way I think this is going to work out, when The Boys Season 4 comes out, right, I don't think it'll be on Amazon Plus and on Peacock or and on NBC. I think The Boys Season 4 will come out, be exclusively on, on Amazon Video for a little while, and then after it's been out for a while, then probably CBS or, can option or, or something.
1: Or 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 another streaming service will have the seasons before the new one just so people watch it. And then they'll be like, Oh, we need to watch season four. Let's get am it's, but who, who would buy stuff that uh, that's on prime? It's like, who would buy stuff up that's on Netflix? I think Netflix is different only because they have a lot more original stuff. That's a lot of stuff to sell around. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I don't see how this would work for Netflix, but I can see how it works for Amazon because I don't. I have Prime. I've never opened my Prime Video app. Even when you guys say the boys is really good, there's nothing that pushes me to open it and actually watch it. So maybe it it will Not help. Not the Creed Amazon. movies. Oh well. The, I watched. I watched that one in theater. I don't need to. Really, I <laughs> watched those. <laughs> but I think I, it's more for series. I think the series that are current and new. Like I, I still don't find myself opening Prime Video to watch anything. Even Invincible. When it when you were hot on Invincible, I was like. I'll check it out, but I never just got around to doing it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a lazy. But the important
0: thing is, a lot of other people do. Like a lot of people watch The Boys, and a lot of people watch Invincible. And in a in a growing playing field where all these broadcasters and I'll and I'll include streamers and traditional television all that kind of stuff under one umbrella, broadcasters are starving for content. And yeah. I think if there's some network and says, hey, we can have Invincible on our channel, does we can have like, whatever.
1: Does this include Rings of Power? It doesn't, right? Because that, that's a well, different they wouldn't, they wouldn't let that go. Yeah. I
0: don't think they'd let do that one, but I think most of their stuff they will. So but Maybe when the Spider-Man stuff is,
1: starts coming out, I'll start opening it. Like that Spy- Silk show that they're working on. And right, start yeah. Maybe I'll have my but eye I, on it. The,
0: the, the point is, though, is that, yeah. again, with, with all these networks and all these places that are just screaming to have content, That's why Sony is having a lot of success. And maybe this model can work for Amazon. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this move by Amazon? I mean, they're already pretty unique in the sense that they're the only service you can't just get their service. You have to buy a package of stuff. But now they're talking about taking some of their shows, some of the best shows that are out there and their movie properties and licensing them out so You can get them in different places as well. Do you think this is a good move for them? Do you think other networks will line up to get the content? Do you maybe think other networks won't be interested? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys with that down, Let's get into some main topics here, shall we? And the way you can send in a main topic, if you guys come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we absolutely should be covering here on The John Campia Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to thejohncampiashowcom contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question, hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your question as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. That down? Jonathan, what is our first main topic today? All right, our first main topic comes from uh, Benemus Prime.
2: Hey, John, love the show. It was just revealed that the runtime for Transformers Rise of the Beasts is one hour and 57 minutes, making it three minutes longer than Bumblebee. I know you've said that longer doesn't equal better, and I know that a common complaint of the Bay, of the Bay Transformers movies was the runtime. But this runtime feels too short for a movie with three new Transformers factions And uh, uh, Unicron. What are your thoughts on this? Thanks for
0: all you do. All right, Benimus Prime, thanks a lot for writing that in. And yes, another, listen, Transformers movies, the one thing you can always count on is they will have great trailers. The movies may turn out to be sickening garbage, but (laughs) you can count on the trailers being awesome. And Transformers Rise of the Beasts, which I'm still confused why they didn't just do Bumblebee 2, to be honest with you. But... Transformers Rise of the Beast. I wasn't super interested in it. Then the first trailer came out. I thought it was lights out. And then they played the new trailer at CinemaCon showing Unicron. I'm like, okay, I'm in. I mean, it's probably going to turn out to be a hot mess just like the other Transformers movies. But you got me. This this looks like it could be a lot of fun. So I'm completely on board. Well, we just got the official runtime, which is one hour and 57 minutes. Okay. So you asked the The first thing I want to address here about that you wrote in was, you know, hey, that might be kind of short, just a hair under two hours, considering that we've got, you know, the, uh, the Maximals and we've got, like, these other groups. we got to introduce Unicron. I don't know if two hours is long enough. I, I always come back to this, but, but think about it for a minute. You know how long the original Star Wars movie was? Two hours. You had to introduce Luke Skywalker. You had to introduce Han Solo. You had to introduce Obi-Wan Kenobi. You had to introduce Chewbacca, C-3PO, R2D2, Princess Leia, Grand Moff Tarkin, Biggs, Wedge, Porkins, Rogue, whatever, and you had to introduce the whole concept of the Empire. You had to introduce the concept of the Rebellion. You had to. Bring, this is the first time we ever had this entire universe. You had to introduce whatever the Death Star was, all that kind of stuff. When that movie started, we didn't know any of it, and yet, in a two-hour movie, they easily introduced all those things. You know why? Because George Lucas was a filmmaker and a storyteller at the height of his powers, and he was able to tell that story and introduce us to all these things in a two-hour story. If you're a good filmmaker, you can do that. If you're a weaker filmmaker, you need more and more and more time. Not that longer movies mean you're a weaker filmmaker, but, I mean, if you're a skilled tactician of a storyteller, you can tell a great story. Star Wars did it, greatest movie of all time, did it in two hours. With the world of Transformers, we already know so much about it. We get a lot of the things with the Transformers and now they're just adding a couple of new pieces. So do I think two hours is too short for a Transformers movie? Not at all. I I don't think that is. Now, listen, I may watch the movie and then say, man, that movie did feel rushed. I might. I might watch the movie two hours and think they could have cut 25 minutes out of this. So we just don't know. We'll have to wait and see.
1: As as long as they concentrate on the robots, like, I, I don't want to see any relationship stuff. Like, maybe they cut all the extra stuff out. Like, I don't want to see a story with a human falling in love with a human. I just want to see robot stuff. Like, the only relationship I want to see is between the kid the new guy and, and, and his robot. That's it. I don't need all the extra stuff that Michael Bay had in his. Just just give me the robots.
0: But how else are you going to have some girl in overly tight, skinny know, shorts leaning man, over a motorcycle? An into an engine. I mean, what's going on? Okay, so let's do this for a second. Let's actually take a look at the runtime of the Transformers movies because something pretty interesting kind of comes up. So the first Transformers movie, which I liked, by the way, I actually, I really liked the first Transformers yeah, it was movie. Good. I thought It was fun. Yeah, I thought Michael Bay did a great job on the first one. That movie is two hours and 24 minutes. Age of Extinction was two hours and 45 minutes, which was garbage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Revenge of the Fallen, which was garbage, was two hours and 30 minutes. Dark of the Moon, which was garbage, was two hours and 34 minutes. The Last Night, which was garbage, was two hours and 29 minutes. And Bumblebee, which was great. Yes. Bumblebee was great at one hour and 54 minutes. I want to point out, what's the best movie on that list? It's, I mean, that's a subjective question, but for me, I'll, I'll give my answer. Best movie on that list, by a good margin, is Bumblebee. Yes. What's the shortest movie on that list? Bumblebee. By a good margin, it's the shortest movie on that list. Again, that's not to say that two hours is the right time for Transformers Rise of the Beast. We won't know if that's the right time for it at one hour and 57 minutes until we watch it. But again, I, I just really do believe that length does not equal quality. The right length for the right movie equals quality. Some movies are perfect at 90 minutes. Some movies are perfect at three hours. The length, though, in and of itself doesn't tell you whether a movie's good or bad. So, I mean, I can tell you the length of a movie, that'll be Ray Ora's falling asleep point. Oh. That I can tell you. Well, oh, this sounds perfect to me. Yeah, two hours sounds <laughs> two hours good to me. Great. But, I mean, what? let's have a two-hour
1: movie. What's wrong with that? It's
2: that 20. It's that 220 that pushes it for back. Yeah, it's
0: 220 where I like zone out for 15 minutes. But again, if you can do this movie, have it be nice, quick, brisk, good, Mm -hmm. solid pacing, all killer, no filler. I I mean, the shoe hours could be perfect. But again, we won't know until we see it. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Apparently, the new Transformers movies, Rise of the Beast, is one hour, 57 minutes, right around the same length as Bumblebee, coming in just behind it for the second-shortest Transformers movie we've had so far. Right runtime, wrong runtime, maybe you do want to see something longer. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into our next question here, where they're asking about something a little questionable Zack Snyder may have just said. Jonathan, what do we got? All right, well Film Zone writes, worst thing a filmmaker can do is blame the audience
2: if their film fails. Snyder just did that. Looks like Snyder says audiences just didn't understand his DC films. <laughs> is this a bad thing for a director to say blaming the audience?
0: Many did understand them and just didn't like them. All right, Film Zone, thanks a lot for sending that in. Now look. I am a DCEU including the Snyder films apologist. I will argue to the day I die that Man of Steel, one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. I, that, that movie gives me so much joy. I will always have a debt of gratitude to Zack Snyder for making that film. I absolutely love it. I liked Batman versus Superman. I liked Justice League, both flavors of it. I liked the theatrical version. I liked the HBO version. I liked I liked, uh, Suicide Squad. Not the James Gunn. I mean, I love the James Gunn one, but, you know, the, the hot mess of a one. Oh, yeah. I I like that. I was entertained by. It. I know it was a hot mess. I don't care. It was fun. I like that movie too. The only DCU movie I didn't like was Birds of Prey, the fabulous, Emanci- the the emancipation of the one of one Harley Quinn. I didn't like that one. That's the only one I didn't like. So I am an apologist for those movies. But the reality is that a lot of the audience didn't like them. I acknowledge that. Even my beloved Man of Steel, a lot of people didn't like it. Didn't make the box office numbers that they were hoping that they it would make. Didn't have the critic reviews or the audience response that they were kind of hoping it would make. And that, That's fine. Whatever. Well, apparently Zack Snyder director of a couple of those films, you know, the, uh, the HBO version of justice league, Batman versus Superman, which I think is underrated and man of steel, which is the most underrated movie. Uh, he made some comments, that we've heard other directors say before, and it always rubs me through. I, I remember talking about this back in my movie blog days that every once in a while a director will come out and say something that kind of says the it's not me, it's you. And <laughs> and that's kind of what Zack Snyder just did now. Listen, this is this is what he said. This comes us from the folks at Screen Rant. He wrote the following: Snyder believes most of the negative reviews for Batman versus Superman were a result of audiences not understanding his multi-layered approach to storytelling. I feel like a lot of people went into the movies for going like, oh, it's the superhero romp, right? Let's have fun with it. And we gave them this sort of, Hardcore, deconstructionist, heavily layered, experiential, modern, mythological superhero movie. Keep patting yourself on the back there, dude. Say that five times fast. A movie that needs, you know, really needs to pay attention to. That was not cool for them. They were like, what? No. It's, (laughs) again, this is Zack Snyder explaining his own movie. Hardcore deconstructivist, heavily layered, experiential, modern, mythological superhero movie. Basically what he's kind of saying there is, I was just too deep for everybody. You just didn't get it. Okay. I will say this. In today's modern time, and I say this in defense of Zack Snyder, because this happens a lot. In today's modern time where filmmakers, actors, producers are constantly having cameras and microphones and cell phones and all this kind of stuff constantly pushed in their faces. I mean, quite often, you got to remember a lot of times when celebrities say stuff, it's not like it's stuff they sat down and planned out and wrote out and drafted. It's just like off the top of their head, and they're just talking and winging. And I think just like most of us, I'm sure most of us in a lot of casual conversations when we're saying things off the top of our head, I'm sure at the end of the day, all of us look back on our days and go, oh, I wish I didn't say that. Yeah, like this whole time I've been here. <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> like every day I go home and that's what I think. Man, Man should I, should I have even said that. open my mouth? I have a defense to this, but but go ahead. Go okay, ahead. so, and and I think what happens quite often is that maybe sometimes a celebrity says something That maybe didn't come out the way they, and and it didn't come out the ideal way. And we kind of build our entire construct of what we think of that person based on something that they just kind of unplanned, said off the cuff, right? So I think we need to cut Zack Snyder some slack here, okay? Now, that being said, I do agree it doesn't read well, because it does kind of come across as saying, I'm not the problem to the audience. You're the problem. And I've always graded a lot when we've heard directors say that. And let's be let's be clear here: Zack Snyder's not the first guy to be guilty of this. I mean, many directors have done this before. I've talked about this a lot. Again, in my 20-year career doing this, but it's always unfortunate because number one, it's it's a director brushing aside any criticism of their movie. But number two, this is where I think some directors have a disconnect. You're the storyteller. If you're the director. And first of all, people understood Man of Steel. And people understood Batman versus Superman. And people understood Justice League. They did. They understood it. They just didn't like it. I did. But just because I did doesn't mean other people don't. And just because other people don't, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them for not liking it. it. They didn't like it for a bunch of different reasons. But here's the main thing. As the director, you are the storyteller. If there is a big segment of your audience that didn't understand, which I don't think is the case here, but if there's a big segment of your audience that didn't understand your message and didn't understand your story, you know whose fault that is? That's yours. You're the storyteller. Part of being a storyteller is being able to craft your story in a way that will impact your audience. And if you're telling a story in such a way That your audience can't interpret what it is you're trying to say. That ain't the audience's fault. That's your fault. And so, number one, I don't think people misunderstood my beloved Man of Steel. I think they just, for whatever reason, they didn't like it for their own reasons. I don't think people didn't understand Batman versus Superman. I think they just didn't appreciate it the way I did for their own reasons. Film is subjective. But I do not think the fault lies with people watching it because Zack Snyder's just too smart for everybody. I, I, and, and to be fair again, I don't think that's what Zack Snyder was trying no, to say. No, so I yeah. think he needs to be cut some slack here I, on this. I,
1: I, I will say, after watching Man is Steel in the theater, the the people that um, I actually went to go watch, I think I mentioned this on Movie Club, they 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 didn't expect that Superman version of Superman. And I agree, they, and they, and that's why they didn't like it as much as I. I did. You know what I mean? They said, Oh, I wanted more of the Clark Kent when he's a goofy Clark Kent. They, they wanted another, the Christopher Reeves and, Superman. And, and yeah. Superman doesn't kill or whatever, this and that. So I, I I I get what he's saying in a way, but it he shouldn't have said it at all.
0: No, and, and again, I think this is one of those things where like all of us, I think this is one of those things where at the end of the day he probably looked back on his quote and said I, I didn't mean it to sound like that. I, that, that. That didn't come out right. I'm sure he probably thinks yeah. that too. Because I, listen, I've met Zack Snyder. I, I've watched a lot of interviews with him as well. He does not strike me at all as the type of guy. I mean, say, think what you want about his movies. You can have whatever opinion you want about his movies. He has never struck me as the type of guy who's completely full of himself. Like I am the Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg and Francis Ford <laughs> Coppola combined into one magnificent God movie making being. That's not Zack Snyder. He doesn't believe that or think that way at all. Uh, yeah. So again, uh, well, I think it's just an unfortunate comment that came now, out the wrong now way. Now,
2: if David Lynch said these words, I'd be like, "Yeah."
0: If David Lynch said it, I would. <laughs> I would believe
1: it. <laughs> I, I think it's just time to move forward. I'm so excited for Rebel Moon. Let's 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 get that ball yeah, going. R- Rebel Mr. Moon is good. I think that Mr. could be a Snyder. lot of fun. Come on. Let's all right, guys.
0: That. Question is for you. What do you think about this? I mean, Zack Snyder said some things that granted on the surface may make it look like he's saying, if you didn't like my movies, it's because you're the problem. You didn't understand it. I, I obviously I disagree with that sentiment, but I don't even think he really meant it that way. But anyway, guys, whatever you guys think about it, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down. Let's take a break from the main topics here and go over to our hotline, Mint Mobile hotline, question of the day. If you guys have a question for the show and you'd like to hear your voice on our show, go ahead and call our hotline number anytime, 24-7 at 951-268-4259. And this first hotline question we have is asking if, hey, James Gunn's Superman movie is written, but what happens if the directors go on strike? Check it out. Hi, Johnny crew.
2: My name is Colin from Texas. I'm calling about the possible future of James Gunn's Superman. We know that the writer's strike is happening and it shows no sign of slowing down. And we know that the directors and actors are all going to meet with producers later on. What would happen if the directors and actors also go on strike when James Gunn is also a studio head of DC? Do you think he would still direct Superman Legacy despite directors going on strike? or would that pretty much shut down all of what James Gunn is doing
0: over there at PC? Thanks. All right, Colin, thanks a lot for calling that in. And yeah, listen, we've been talking a bit about Superman Legacy recently, and why on earth would you not be excited about that movie? I mean, granted, I... I, Look, I'm a Henry Cavill guy. (laughs) I would love to still see Henry Cavill as Superman, but he's not. Okay, we move on, Uh, especially after watching Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Oh, yeah. I mean, and watching what James Gunn was able to do with that, and now... We got Superman Legacy coming out in 2025 that's going to kick off the new era of DC on the big screen. And I'm so excited for it. And I think he's going to be great. Now we've been talking about it a little bit lately because of the writer strike. Now, the advantage that Superman Legacy and James Gunn has with it is the fact that the script is already written. James Gunn's script for Superman Legacy is written. And we talked before about if the script hadn't been written before the writer's strike happened, James Gunn, who is a member of the WGA, despite the fact that he's a studio head, he wouldn't be able to write any more stuff for it. So now the question is, with the writer's strike going on, the Screen Actors Guild, the Actors Union, and the Directors Guild, the Directors Union, are now themselves in negotiations with the producers. And there is a fairly good chance that they all might end up on strike too with the Writers Guild. Not saying it will, but there's a good chance they will. Chris Carr, who is a member of SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, was telling us the other day that there's a good chance the Screen Actors Guild, that the actors are going to go on strike. And if they do, there's a good chance the directors are as well. So let's hypothetically look at this hypothetical situation. What happens then to Superman Legacy? Okay, the script's already done. Don't have to worry about the Writers Strike, but James Gunn is also a member of the DGA. The Directors Guild of America. Here's what would happen. He couldn't direct the film. At least they would have to delay the start of production on the movie until if, again, this is all predicated on the idea of if there was a Directors Guild strike. And if there was, he would have to instantly stop his work as a director he couldn't be doing any more director work. He could still do his studio executive work, but he couldn't do any director's work. And they couldn't put the movie in front of cameras until the strike was over. Now, I don't think they're going they were supposed to start shooting this movie anytime in the immediate future. Like not in the next, I don't think they were gonna start shooting this in the next month or two. Maybe they were, but I don't think they were. Have to look into that. But yeah, if a director's go on strike, they're gonna have to delay. Because as a member of that union, James Gunn is bound to the agreements of that union and, and the bylaws of that union. Now you could say, well, then he could leave the union. Sure. But then suddenly super, that creates more problems because now Superman legacy is a non-union movie and that certain people won't work on that movie. If there's a non-union director working on, it. again, we talked, Chris Carr knows more about that stuff than I do. Cause she's a member of SAG, but she talked about that a little bit the other day. So yes, the bad news for Superman legacy is if there is a director's guild Strike. They're okay with the Writers Guild strike, but if the Directors Guild strikes, then this movie's going to get delayed.
2: Now, is he also, I get studio exec, I get writer, director, is he a producer? Is he in the Producers Guild too? Yeah. So he's striking, he'd be striking against himself. In, well, no, no but he's
0: not the studio, right? right. Like the, the AMPTP is not just representative of all producers, right. but really more the producers' bodies. So he's he's kind of clear. But as the head of D.C. studios, he's in a conflict of interest situation because he is representative of Warner Brothers, (laughs) which is a member of that producers association. So, again, it's a very intricate, complicated, weaved web there. But, yeah, bottom line is if the DGA goes on strike, James Gunn can't direct, at least until the director strike will be done. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? I mean, fortunately for all of us, Superman Legacy isn't a movie that's supposed to be coming out until 2025 anyway. So I think at the end of the day, we're worrying much ado about nothing here, probably. But it could have a bit of an impact. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Before we move on with all of our next topics, including, you know, how does this writer strike How is it going to affect with deals that writers make with individual studios, AMC theaters making their own candy, Beetlejuice News, the huge upcoming movies in the next 30 days and all. We're going to talk about all that in just a minute, but before we get to that, we're going to take just a second here and thank a couple of the sponsors of our show here today, the good folks over at Manscaped and Rocket Money. We want to thank the sponsor of today's video, Manscaped. Summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? Manscaped is here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing full body grooming and hygiene products. It is time to get ready for summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code Campia. Guys, you know, I've been using Manscaped products for a while now, and I love starting every day feeling cleaner, fresher, and way more comfortable. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you increase your confidence and level up your full body grooming game with the Performance Package 4.0. The kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 4.0, waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. Inside the Performance Package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. And no one likes nose hair, so their package also comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0. You also get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you go to manscaped.com campia and use the code campia. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com campia and use the code campia. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. We wanna thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills, and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much-needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people looking for extra savings this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month. Month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/campia. That's mintmobile.com/campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/campia. And thank you to our friends at Manscaped and my mobile service provider Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campius Show. Remember, guys, when you go and check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you go down to the description of this video, you'll find links and promo codes for all of today's sponsors. And thank you again to Manscaped and Mint Mobile for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campius Show. All right, guys. With that down, let's get on to another hotline question here, shall we? It's a question to do with the writer strike and whether the WGA can make a deal with an individual studio. Check it out.
2: Hey, John, Hank from Buffalo. Uh, I had a question about the writer's strike. If, say, Warner Brothers were to come in and say, hey, we agree to your demands, and Universal, on the other hand, were like, hey, no, the writer, the WGA strike out against Universal while working for Warner Brothers. Can they do that?
0: All right. Thanks, Hank, for calling that in. You know, this is a question I've heard a number of people have written in and called in about was, okay, so the writer's guild is going on, like, but you know, talking about say the James Gunn stuff, like, could they just make a deal with Warner Brothers to make sure that the upcoming DC slate gets made? Could they just make a deal with Disney to make sure Daredevil gets back on track or stuff like that? Okay, so the short answer to that question is they could, but it would cost them dearly. Uh, if they did. Okay. So here's the situation. We know that we have the Writers Guild or WGA. We know we have the Directors Guild, the DGA. We have SAG, the Screen Actors Guild. We have IATSE, who represents a lot of the other professions and disciplines in the world of filmmaking. We have all those, but all those are on the one side. And on the other side, you have this Producers Association. That is the AMPTP. The AMP TV. I, I I can't remember what it stands for. The American Motion Picture and Television Producers. I think that's what it stands for. Now, the reason they're able to make deals with individual unions is because the unions have the power of what's called collective bargaining. Now, I'm going to way oversimplify it here. So, uh, this is this is generally the idea. Okay, but don't don't go to town on this. Collective bargaining basically gives a group the power to represent a larger body in matters of negotiating contracts and deals. Okay. So like, um, let's say Ray wanted a raise, right? He could come to me and, and talk to me about a raise for him, but that raise for him doesn't affect Jen. It doesn't affect Chris and it doesn't affect Jonathan. However, if Ray and Jen and Chris and Jonathan wanted to form a union, And they gave Ray the power of collective bargaining. That means they have (laughs) given Ray the power to negotiate on all their behalf's, and they are bound to whatever deals Ray makes. We get free McDonald's well, on Mondays. What kind of uh, barbecue you want later <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So now they would have to ratify, they would have to Ray would have to go back to them with a the deal that he reached and they would have to ratify it and all that kind of stuff, but that's the power of collective bargaining. Instead of having to sit down with one every single individual, you can do it as a collective, right? Well, while we all understand that the WGA, SAG, the DJ, they have collective bargaining within their unions. The studios themselves have formed this organization of the AMPTP to be the power of collective bargaining on their behalf. Now, this is the description, the way they write it up. It's like this. The AMPTP is the entertainment industry's official collective bargaining representative. AMPTP member companies include the major motion picture studios, including Paramount Pictures, Sony Pictures, Universal Pictures, Walt Disney Studios, and Warner Brothers. The principal broadcast television networks, including ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC. Streaming services like Netflix, Apple TV, and Amazon. Certain cable television networks and other independent film and television production companies. So the AMPTP is basically all of these organizations come together And say, we've got this now body that we call the AMPTP, and they will act on all of our behalfs, making collective bargaining agreements with the unions who have their own collective bargaining power. So what would happen then if, say, Universal, like he's suggesting, were to sneak around the back of McDonald's one night and meet up with the president of the WGA and say, tell you what, tell you what, yeah, 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 yeah. All the other guys... They want to give the writers, you know, I don't know, 400 million more. But I'll tell you what, us at Universal will give you 500 million more. So why don't you end the strike with us and you can keep striking against them, but you can work on Universal things, right? Here's what would happen it would completely demolish any power that the AMPTP has if one of those signatory member companies were to break away like that, number one, they would not be able to benefit from any of the agreements. The AMPTP does come to, they would immediately eject that studio out of their collective bargaining power. And then here's what would happen. All those other studios, Walt Disney, Warner brothers, paramount, Netflix, Apple TV, Amazon, NBC, CBS, they would all sue the shit out of Universal for doing it because they were in this thing together. They were relying on each other to agree and, and stay and behave by the terms of their collective bargaining. And if Universal goes around and stabs them in the back at that point, the other students are going to sue the shit out of them. So yeah, maybe Universal could get one or two new projects done because they reached a secret agreement with the WGA, but it would eventually fall apart. Now, just to be clear, because Jonathan had the Universal logo up there, yeah, to be clear, that. <laughs> I am making up a scenario. This isn't what's happening. It's a totally made-up scenario. Universal has not gone behind the backs of their fellow AMPTP members. So anyway, I hope that answers. So generally speaking, for all intents and purposes, no, that's not something that can happen. The AMPTP and the Writers Guild themselves are going to have to come to an agreement as the collective bargaining powers of the two organizations. So hope that answers that. Guys. What do you think about that whole situation? Can you think of loopholes to that? Does it even matter? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's get back to your submitted main topics here, shall we? And this next one has to do with AMC's going all Willy Wonka and wanting to make candy. What do we got here,
2: Jonathan? (laughs) Okay, well, we got Michael O'Hearn, who writes, a while back, we heard AMC was going to start selling its own popcorn in stores. And today, Adam Aaron announced he wants to start selling AMC candy at the concession stands in an effort to re- reduce overhead costs by selling other brands. Do you think this is a good idea? And furthermore, do you think people will latch on to the idea? Thanks.
0: All right. Thanks a lot for calling that in, Michael. Now look, right up the front, I'm, I'm not going to be disingenuous. Everybody knows that I think Aaron, Adam Aaron is the biggest boob of an executive in the film exhibition in the world right now. I, I mean, he might be a wonderful personal guy. Maybe I would, he and I would get along great if we knew each other personally, but I don't think he does a very good job running that company. That being said, and that's just my opinion. That being said, this is interesting. Now, look, one of the things you got to understand about movie theaters is that they do not make their money from selling movie tickets because the vast majority of that money, there's this, Myth out there that uh, theaters keep 50%. Theaters do not keep 50%. Okay, let me just be very clear about that. They don't. The vast majority of the money that a movie ticket generates goes back to the distributors and the studios. Rightfully so, to a degree. They do gouge the theater sometimes quite badly, but that's so the theaters get a little bit of money from the movie tickets, uh, 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 maybe like 30% of that ticket. Movie theaters do not make their money on movie ticket sales. They make their money on concession sales. One studio head or one theater chain head at CinemaCon one year famously said, we are not in the movie business. We're in the candy business. And he's not wrong because that's where the bulk of their money comes from. So when it comes to their candy business, you got to forgive them if they're going to take that very seriously. And now Adam Aaron has come up with this idea. Hey, you know what? Instead of selling a box of M&M's in which M&M's is going to get 60% of what we sell that box of M&M's for. Why don't we make our own AMC candy and we'll keep all that candy money. And by the way, if you want to know why why does one licorice cost $3? That's why, because AMC has got to give a bunch of the money back to the candy manufacturer. And then they got to create that high price is what profit they get to keep for themselves. So they can keep the lights on. So Adam Aaron comes up with this idea of what if we just make our own AMC candy? All right. All right. Let's, Let's look at that for a second. I'm of two minds on it because on the one hand, it's actually a pretty forward-thinking idea if you're a movie theater executive. If your real money comes from the candy sales and comes from concessions, why not come up with a way where you keep a bigger chunk of that revenue at the concessions? Instead of selling a bag of Reese's Pieces M&Ms, sell a bag of AMC's Choco Peanut Butter Delights. And you, you mean know, you got to pay whatever it costs to make those candies, but Instead of keeping like 30%, you're keeping like 90%. And your revenues go up strategically. Listen, honestly, I'm not a big Adam Aaron fan. But that's not a bad idea, actually. However, that being said, there's another way to look at this that worries me a little bit. And that worry is this. When you go and look at and stand in a concession stand line, you know there's only so much space for so much candy, right? It ain't all gonna be when they start introducing AMC candies. That means they're gonna start pushing some things out. Look, this comes to us uh, from the reports from a report over at Deadline. This is Adam Aaron saying this. He goes, "We recently noticed, as a result of the pandemic and the supply chain shortages, all of which is true." That candy manufacturers had increased their price to us by a huge amount. Same, again, which is also true. Some candy makers are increasing their cost for wholesale candy as much as 33% in a one-time bump. That kind of got us thinking very hard about our candy, and
1: oh, and
0: visit. there we go. And we realized that we could manufacture a private label brand of candy to very high quality standards price it less expensively than our current candy is priced and have higher profit margins. So again, this sounds like a win-win, right? Because not only is it a win for AMC, it could be a win for us as the consumers. They're saying, hey, we can create our own candy line, make it way less expensive. Therefore, we can sell it cheaper to our patrons like instead of them having to pay $6 for a little box of candy, maybe they'll have to pay $4.25 for a little box. We can make the prices lower for our customers and we still make more money. Again, on the one hand, that sounds great. And, and it's, it's very creative thinking. However, I do have a worry. And maybe I'm worrying about nothing, but here's my worry. Again, number one, look at the size of the concession stand. There's only a limited amount of space there for candies to be out there. You know when you go into a concession stand, you have limited options already, right? When they start introducing their own AMC candy, it's going to bump some of the other candies off. And there's only going to be so much more. I mean, they do say we're still going to sell other people's candy, but you know they're not going to sell as much. You know the shelf space and the prime, high-profile, highly visible candy rack is not going to have M&Ms on it. And it's not going to have, you know, Choco Frosted Sugar Bombs. Bonus points to anybody who knows that reference. It's not going to have Choco Frosted Sugar Bombs. I guess we we'll have point. AMC. points.
2: <laughs> well, I've heard of it, but I don't know what
0: it's... I can't uh, I'm going to keep my eye on the live chat, see if anybody knows it. It's going to have AMC candy. Mm-hmm. That's where all the Prime stuff is going to be. And here's the part where I get, uh, by the way, uh, Thomas Mitchell in the live chat gets it. Calvin and Hobbes, points to you, Thomas Mitchell. Four points to Hufflepuff. Okay, so. You're Hufflepuff. Here's the other big problem. So besides the fact that they're going to start kicking out some of the candies that I do like to have there, here's the thing. AMC Theaters has the worst popcorn in the movie theater industry. Now, I I still eat it every time I go. But every time I end up going to another movie theater and I have I get a bag of popcorn, I always go, oh, my God, this is so much better than AMC's. AMC makes the lowest quality popcorn and puts the lowest quality butter like substance because it ain't butter. That stuff you you put on (laughs) your popcorn (laughs) ain't butter, but I still put it on. But they put straw.
2: Yeah, with a straw. I lair that son of a bitch.
0: So AMC already makes the lowest quality popcorn with the lowest quality buttery substance that is still passable and people will still eat because I'm the sucker. I'm the one who still gets it every single time I go. There is no reason for me to believe they won't take the same approach to their other candy. There's no reason for me to believe they won't. They will do the app. What's what's the... uh, Food and Drug Administration, bare minimum requirements for (laughs) quality. Okay, do that and then add 0.01% above it. And my worry is, my worry is that instead of having some delicious Reese's pieces, they're going to have the AMC Choco Peanut Butter Delights and it's going to be like, It's it's gonna wrap. It's gonna have that white haze on the chocolate.
1: Yes, they're actually gonna have containers like Sweet Factory, where you just put a bunch of candy in the bag and they weigh it. Yeah, like no, sorry, okay with that.
0: I did not find rat shit in my bag of candy. I actually found a rat taking a shit in my bag of candy. Oh wow! And that's my worry. Again, I'm not saying that will happen. I'm telling you, as a consumer, that is my fear. That is my, not finding a rat taking a shit in a bag of candy. That's not going to happen. But I mean, it's my fear that they're going to just on it. <laughs> crank out the cheapest, lowest possible quality candy that can still sell. Bump the candy I do like off the off the shelves. Put theirs on there. And that's what you
1: got. Because what, what's going to happen is, let's say they do find that they're making money. They're going to push more to make more money. Absolutely. By pushing to a lower, lower, lower. That's 100%. what happened to this... Uh, this uh, Chinese uh, food place that was near my house, um, the owner left, right, and he gave all the ingredients to like the, the next people, and they started using cheaper quality sauces, okay. and remember, it just completely sucked. I don't go there anymore.
0: Remember the right beside AMC Burbank Sixteen? Right. There was that that Asian seafood all you can eat buffet right beside the AMC, oh, AMC right, Burbank right, Sixteen. Right right, 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 right. When they opened with their grand opening. We all used to go there for lunch yeah, a bunch because so the food was so good. But slowly over time, the quality of the food got worse and worse and worse as they were cutting costs. And we all just stopped eating there. Within two years, the place shut down. I agree with Ray. I think what my fear here is that AMC is going to make it as cheap as they possibly can. It's not going to be anywhere near as good as the other stuff, but we're not going to have any other options. So just like their popcorn, I still, <laughs> I'm still i stuck buying their popcorn. And. What's going to happen is then they'll just keep making it worse and worse and worse. Why? Because, hey, you're coming to movie theaters. You're going to be snacky. What else are you going to oh. get? And, and again, I'm not saying that's what they will do. Right. I'm saying that's my fear. Because, listen, I will be the first person to say if they create their own brand of candy and we eat it and we're like, damn, this is good. And it's cheaper than what the other stuff was. It's a stroke of genius because they're going to make the customers happier and they're going to make more money. When you can do both at the same time, that's gold.
1: Here's, a, here's another plus. They, could, they don't have to go by, like, can't, they can make up candy, yep. like, from what people are suggesting. And it could be AMC's own candy. Like, you know, I brought in those chips for you yesterday. The honey barbecue chips,
0: cheesy things. Where it's like all the, the rappers. Master P yeah, chips. It's all the
1: rappers' ideas or, or, like, what they want in a chip. AMC could start doing the same. And you could get a candy that you can only get at AMC. And it could, like, bring sales up. I don't
0: know. Well, I mean, we'll, again, after eating their popcorn, I don't have a lot of faith in their <laughs> ability to make good-tasting candy, but maybe they will. Maybe they will. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this move by AMC? I I, I have to admit, it is creative, out-of-the-box, thinking to create their own candy line. My only worry is, if it follows the pattern of their absolute lowest possible quality while still sellable and digestible by human biology popcorn, (laughs) then it could be pretty bad. But guys, whatever you guys think about this, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's get into our next user submitted question. And this one is about a release date for Beetlejuice Two. Jonathan. What do we got?
2: All right, Danny Shear writes, Good morning, John and team. It feels like the Beetlejuice sequel has been a bigger will-it-ever-actually-happen movie than even The Flash. They've talked about it for so long and nothing ever happened. So I was wondering, if you saw that yesterday, everything seems to be locked up and confirmed now. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice 2 is going to hit theaters on September 6th uh, next year, and Jenna Ortega is confirmed to be Winona Ryder's daughter in it. What do you think of this? Thanks.
0: All right, Danny, thanks a lot for sending that in. You know, you're right. I mean, I still remember being back at AMC Movie Talk and doing stories about, ah, they've confirmed they're moving forward with a Beetlejuice 2. Crickets, five years later, the story comes up again. And then more crickets. And then here we are five years later again. And then they start talking again last year about, hey, no, really, we swear, pinky swear, totally dead serious. We're really trying to put together a Beetlejuice 2 now. And I admit I was skeptical. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, guess what? Now we're starting to see it. It is happening. Tim Burton Confirmed it a while ago. Jenna Ortega confirmed that she was on board for it. Winona Ryder confirmed that she was back on board for it. Now we got an official release date and we know who Jenna Ortega's character is going to be. And it's the one we all guessed anyway. This comes just from the folks over at Screen Rant who wrote this. They said shortly after being confirmed for the long just dating Tim Burton sequel, Jenna Ortega's Beetlejuice 2 character details have revealed her relation to an original character. Development on the horror comedy has languished for over 30 years, finally gaining steam last year with Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder said that they will be reprising their beloved roles. Earlier this year, saw rumors swirling of Ortega reuniting with her Wednesday director, that's Tim Burton, uh, which were later confirmed at Warner Brothers CinemaCon 2023 panel through her character, though her character details are being held under wraps. And now we also have a release date and that release date is September 6th, 2024 all right first let me say the unpopular thing i like beetlejuice as as much as most people i mean i I like beetlejuice i I, it's not a movie to me that is like one of the all-time classics like a lot of my friends like hold it up to be like to a lot of people beetlejuice is a beloved movie absolutely beloved and to me it's it's a movie that's yeah i remember that one hey Remember that scene when he's sitting in the office and he's sending me guys the head with the head shrink and all that kind of stuff. Ah, oh, it was funny. I don't know what it is. So I could do or not do with a Beetlejuice 2. I'm just being honest. I, I could take or not take a Beetlejuice 2. The big thing for me personally that's driving some interest is the fact that we're in a Michael Keaton sense right now. And by the way, Michael Keaton is awesome in The Flash. I cannot wait for you guys to see Michael Keaton in The Flash. He's so good in it. That being said, that's interesting. Now, Jen Ortega, when they announced that she was joining the cast. I think every single one of you watching this video guessed that she was going to be Winona Ryder's daughter. I think everybody guessed that. And sure enough, they did confirm that that is who her character is going to be. She is going to be related. She's going to be the daughter of Winona Ryder's character. But they haven't given us any more details on it up till now, and that's fine. Is like they're going to be some kind of curse that gets passed down to her, and only Beetlejuice can come and, and save the day. I mean, I don't know how they're going to approach it or whatever. But any of you guys, like you guys behind the camera, any of you guys like have some kind of affinity for the original Beetlejuice? Are you excited about this, Jonathan? I mean, I think that I think the thing about it is the art direction was
2: kind of new. You know, Tim Burton was still new on the scene at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah, yeah, he was still so a young gun. It was kind of like it was different. I mean, I go back and there's just some of the line deliveries of, of Michael Keaton was great. Like, nice Evan model and just little <laughs> things like that. Like, I was like, I forgot that line. It's so funny. And, and I, I think it's just kind of an iconic 80s film. You know, I, I think and it, he pulls it off again. I, I'm looking forward to it. Jen, um, Jen I, d- I don't
0: even think you were born when this movie came out. Were you even born? Like, have, have you watched this movie? Of course, I've seen it. <laughs> okay, okay. I should have known you. You do strike me as a Beetlejuice kind of I'm a huge yeah.
2: Beetlejuice fan. You are correct,
0: <laughs> Ray. What about you? Are you excited to see
1: this? Uh, well, I, all I remember is they kept replaying it on my local station like all the time. Uh, there's all the the musical number got me. Oh yeah, musical yeah, guy. That's yeah, the, that's classic. My that is favorite classic. part, and also the beginning because the guy had like the miniature city like yeah. thing, like the little well, miniature. The, music, the
2: score from Danny Elfman is. Um... Yep, also um, I
1: yeah, was awesome. And I like that part of it. But other than that, when they started messing with their faces and stuff, that terrified me. As a, <laughs> that terrified me as a kid. I couldn't get that lady's face out of my head for the longest time. Maybe even till today. Maybe I still see it at night. I don't know.
0: That was Alec Baldwin, wasn't yeah, yeah.
1: it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And then, like, they would pull their faces. Oh, oh, and the yeah. other girl,
0: it was Gina Davis, right? Yeah, yeah. it was Gina yeah. Davis, Alec Baldwin. And the, yeah, I like by today's standards, like, you look at that with the, when they did the face stretch thing. I I get it. Like if you were born after Beetlejuice came out and, and all that kind of stuff, if you look back at it now, maybe it looks a little laughable. But at the time, oh, yeah. that was top-notch prosthetic work. Like that was, and it was terrifying when you were a kid. All right, guys, question is for you. Are you excited about a Beetlejuice 2? It's, it's now official. We got the release date. We know who Jenna Ortega is now, even though we kind of knew it before. Are you really pumped up for this thing? It's coming in like a year and a half. It's going to be in theaters. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's finish things off here with this, shall we? Talk about the next 30 days could actually be the biggest 30-day window for movies we've had in over four years. Jonathan, what do we got?
2: Okay, Alan writes, I just sat down and looked at the Regal Ticket site for upcoming movies, and holy crap, there are a few really big ones coming out in the next 30 days. Guardians is in theaters already, so I won't count that one, but Fast X is coming, Little Mermaid, The Machine, Spider-Man Across the Universe, uh, Spider-Verse, Um, Indiana Jones 5, and Transformers Rise of the Beast all in the next month. Which are you most excited for?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what. When I got that email, I sat down and like, now when we say month, we're talking about, we're not talking about calendar month. We're talking about the next 30 days, right? This 30-day window that we are now in is easily the biggest 30-day window for movies that we've had in years in at least four years, going back to 2019 pre-pandemic era, we have not had a 30-day window where this sheer level and magnitude of blockbuster potential, because we don't know if a couple of these films are going to flop or not, but we're going to call box office blockbuster potential films coming out in the same 30-day window. And it is nuts. And so I thought it would be fun if we took a second here and I rank for you. Now, I'm not going to put the machine on there (laughs) <laughs> I, I just—I know you mentioned the machine. You're I'm not going to put the machine. I'll do respect, but I don't think the machine is one of those movies,
1: <laughs>
0: but we've got no less than five who, if this was a pre pandemic era right now, all five of these films would be billion dollar potential films, not automatic billion dollar films, but billion dollar potential films. And even now in the post pandemic era, they, a couple of these could still hit the big billion dollar mark. All right. So for me, what is my number 5 most anticipated out of these incredibly huge films coming out in the next little bit? I'm going to say number 5 The Little Mermaid. Again, I'm not a Little Mermaid guy. Mermaid. Uh I'm not a Little Mermaid guy. But the trailers really got me. The sequences they showed us at CinemaCon, I thought looked really really good. So I am actually quite interested in watching this movie. We're hearing really good things coming out about it already, especially Halle ba- uh, Bailey's uh performance everybody's raving about her performance her Melissa McCarthy. Uh so yeah, I'm excited about it, but it is number 5 for me on the list. All right, next one will be Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Is my fourth most anticipated coming out in the next 30 days. Again, I don't know why they didn't just go do Bumblebee 2 considering the first one. Why did they didn't go back and get the Kubo and the Two Strings director back to direct it again? I don't know why, but The trailer sold me. The trailer sold me on this. They do every Transformers movie and I always end up disappointed. But again, they sold me on it. So Transformers Rise of the Beasts is my fourth most anticipated movie coming up. All right. My third is Fast X. I hated Fast 9. Hated it. (laughs) But my God, Fast X looks like a hell of a lot of fun. It looks like... And I might be wrong because I haven't seen the movie. I actually, I just, I don't have my phone here. I just got my screening invitation to go watch Fast X. I won't be going, but I did get my advanced screening invitation to go see Fast X. And it looks like from the trailers that they learned a lot of lessons from Fast 9. And it feels like they've taken it back to like Fast 7, Fast 6. And those movies I love. So that's why Fast X is my third most anticipated movie of this next 30 days. All right, then if that wasn't big enough for this 30-day window we're in, next one up in my number two spot is Indiana Jones 5. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. They showed us like a 15, 20-minute clip um, at CinemaCon, and it just oozed Indiana Jones. It was, it was the, the perfect Indiana Jones feel. I thought the trailer's been great. I think we've got one of the greatest directors in the world, uh, James Mangold, who, of course, directed Logan as well. And he's just a marvelous director. With him doing it, I've got very, very, very high hopes and also dangerously very, very high expectations. I think this movie looks fantastic. I think it's going to be great. And if all that... Guys, look at this list. In the next 30 days, Little Mermaid, Transformers, Fast 10, Indy 5, and then obviously you guys know it was my number one, Spider-Verse. Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, also coming out in this same 30-day window. You guys who watch the show know, to me, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse was the best comic book movie of 2018, and that is the same year that Black Panther and Infinity War came out. And I think Miles Morales' movie, Spider-Verse, was the best movie that year. The the best comic book movie that year. I thought it was my number three favorite movie overall. I only had it behind, the only two movies I personally had it behind for best movie of the year, not just comic book movie, I had it behind A Quiet Place and I had it behind Black Klansman. Uh, Other than that, I thought, I honestly thought Spider-Verse should have been nominated for best picture. It won best animated film that year. I contend it should have been nominated for best picture overall as well. But then they showed us 15 minutes of it last year at CinemaCon. They showed us like another 15 minutes of it at this year's CinemaCon. This thing looks like it's going to be bigger, more heartfelt, and better than the first one. And so that's why to me. So again, let's look at this list here. In the next 30 days, this one month window we have, Little Mermaid, Transformers Rise of the Beast, Fast X, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Guys, this is a good time for us as movie fans. Now, I'm sure a couple of these will be great. I'm sure a couple might disappoint, whatever. But it has been years since we had a, a road that's right in front of us. Next three days, where we've had this level of kind of bombastic filmmaking coming to us. And I, for one... Cannot wait. Question is for you guys. What is your most anticipated out of this list of films we're getting in the next 30 days? Is it Transformers one? Is it the animated Spider Verse? Is it Fast 10? Little Mermaid. Whatever you guys think, in whatever order you would have it in, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that all down, we're not going to move over and start taking your questions that you guys have sent in to our tip line. Again, you can send in a question anytime, 24-7. You don't have to do it when the show's live. Just go anytime at 3 in the morning or any hour of the day to StreamElements.com slash JohnCampia slash tip. And if we deem your questions to be appropriate to be read on our show... We'll read it here on our show. Now, before we get to those, though, we're going to thank a couple more sponsors of today's show. First of all, this time, really honestly, Rocket Money and our friends at Masterclass. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, Rocket Money. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitor your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want and don't even use. Simply find the subscription you don't want Press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. My wife Ann and I moved out of Burbank two years ago and one of the first things I discovered when I loaded up Rocket Money was that I was still paying for a gym membership I haven't even been to in Burbank in two years. So stop throwing away your money. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to Rocket money.com slash campia that's rocket money.com slash campia rocket money.com slash campia We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn filmmaking from James Cameron himself, you know, the guy who made three of the four biggest films of all time. Improve your writing by taking screenwriting from one of the greatest who's ever done it, Aaron Sorkin. Or maybe learn how to make great comedic content by taking comedy by the one and the only Judd Apatow. And many of you guys know I'm a big poker guy, and I recently got a chance to sit sit down and watch Daniel Negreanu, one of the greatest poker players in the world, teach poker. It was absolutely fantastic. But guys, whatever you're interested in, there is a class for you with over 180 exclusive classes taught by the instructors you know and love. And you can explore lessons in any order you'd like, across your phone, tablet, Apple TV, computer, and on the go with audio mode. Individual lessons range from about 10 to 15 minutes in length that fit easily into your everyday life. Guys, I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class and as a John Campia show listener you get 15% off an annual membership go to masterclass.com campia now that's masterclass.com campia for 15% off masterclass and thank you to our friends at rocket money and masterclass for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia show alright guys we're going to spend the remainder of our time here taking your questions that you guys have sent in so Jonathan what do we got Okay. First
2: up, we've got Eduardo O'Neill who writes, can you please elaborate on the consequences for uh, writers
0: if theoretically they do write under the strike? I mean, again, the better person to be here for that would be Chris Carr as the member of one of the unions, but basically they'll be expelled out of the union and they'll probably never get back in. And then if you're not in the union, you've drastically reduced the number of jobs you could have in the future. So you'd basically be screwing yourself if you did. That's why. All right. What's next? All right. <clears throat> Bored at work, I've right. <laughs> uh, Been getting my girlfriend into more
2: movies. We watched all the Evil Dead movies before Rise. Nice. all The Guardians movies, uh, plus IW and Endgame. Oh, okay. Uh, before three. And uh, we'll watch Man of Steel and Batman 89 before Flash. The indie movies and Spider-Verse before the new one. Wow.
0: You know what? That, this is one of the good things about franchises. Is that when new movies come out, they open new opportunities for people who haven't seen the originals to get introduced into that world right? So I know a lot of people when a new movie is coming out, they actually take an evening and watch some of the previous ones. Like, I know a lot of people that I'm not talking about the theater event, but I mean, I know a lot of people who, before Guardians of the Galaxy came out, were like, oh yeah, this week we re Guardians 1 and Guardians 2. I mean, it's just kind of a really cool thing to do, and that is awesome that you and your girlfriend are doing that together, man. Alright, what's next? Alright, Ray's alarm clock is chiming in here. Hey, crew,
2: <laughs> is, there, is there any truth to the rumor that Fast uh, and Furious... X one will, will feature the cloning of Dominic Toretto, and it will be called
0: FFX one Dom and Dahmer.
2: <laughs> Probably,
0: you know. I think so, I thought that was a stupid comment. Dom and Domer. Until I got to Dom and Dahmer. And <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> then I went, nope, that's gold. FFX one. Dom Domer. and Dahmer. I dig that. All right, what's next?
2: Chuck the Mystery writes, hey, John, on the John Campia show Tuesday, you said that you didn't feel it was necessary to watch the Keaton Batman films in order to see Flash. So that brings up a question. Uh, in your opinion, does the Batman in Flash feel like the 89 version or a new iteration of him?
0: Um, It feels... Okay, look, I'll put it this way. It feels like the 89 iteration but also different because it's 30 years later. But there's also a detail I want to be able to tell you to really accurately give an answer to this, but I can't because it would be a little spoilery. I'll just say this. It feels like this is the 89 Batman who would have gone through some changes that 30 years of time would have brought on. Um, So yeah, it it does feel like it. They do a good job with that.
2: I will say, I'm curious because obviously I haven't seen it either because we were just talking about the art direction of Beetlejuice and obviously the like Batman and Batman Returns had a very specific art direction to the sets and everything yep. and yet this is supposed to be his world so I'm not asking for any answers but I am curious if there's like if we notice any similarities to that world as far as the art direction 100% but, Awesome
0: I mean not not the outside world, sure. but when you're in Wayne Manor and yeah, in the yeah. back cave, and, and that's not giving anything away because a lot of those shots are actually in the trailer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the art direction style is very, very... And of course, the music hits and ah, it's really good. <laughs> I cannot wait for you guys to watch Flash, honestly. It's so good. Went- All right, what's next? All right, Nicolas Cage
2: writes, <laughs> I'm looking to pick up a striking... A striking art for self-defense and health. Uh, Torn between Muay Thai or kickboxing. Muay Thai is more effective, but at 33, I'm worried the elbows and knees are going to mess my body up uh, sparring. Uh, And then kickboxing is more defensive and evasive. Your recommendation? I
0: would recommend kickboxing, uh, honestly. I, I think, number one, if you're also doing it mostly for health and stuff like that, it's just a lot of people will just take straight up kickboxing classes just for cardio health and things like that. Um, I just think it's also, depending on your age, it's a much more um, introductory, friendly art to get involved in. And, and, you know, listen, Muay Thai is always something that you can add to your repertoire a little bit later if you want to. I think kickboxing is a good place to start. All right, what's next? I think I'd lean towards Krav Maga, personally. Uh, I would lean towards the Scottish uh, martial art, fuck you, (laughs) which mainly involves headbutting people when they're on the ground. And a bottle. <laughs> By the way, if anybody got that that reference, bonus points to you if you got that reference. Oh my reference. god, these uh, so, I'm, so I married an axe murder. Very good. Yes, I'm very proud of you. That's <laughs> that's one of the best lines from So <laughs> I Married an Murder. Yeah, in Scotland we have our own martial arts called Fuck You. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly I involves kicking people, headbutting <laughs> and kicking people when they're already on the ground. I love that. All right, what's next? All right, Paul Starr guy
2: writes, Did any of you watch Mayfair Witches based on Ann Rice books and on AMC? Uh, a young woman doctor, Alexandria, Alexandria Daddario, discovers she has certain powers and seems to be tied to a uh, man entity. It's a
0: different take on witches and very well done. I'll tell you a couple things here. One, I don't have AMC. Two, I didn't even know this existed. And three, I wish I did because I love Alexandria Daddario. So like all those things, but I, I've not even heard, I'll be honest with you, I haven't even heard of this show. No, me either. You know where the licensing would work
2: is things like AMC Plus, because I don't think they're doing great and getting there. There, AMC... I
0: didn't even know there was an AMC Plus. Uh, exactly.
2: So AMC Plus, like, and I even would honestly say Paramount Plus could probably have some success with uh, sending their stuff out.
0: Yeah, I mean, because listen, I i have not heard of this show and I you've just made me interested in it. So I'll have to keep my eyes open for it all right what's next
2: okay we got paul star back i retired after 20 years in the federal government on april 27 congratulations i'm really congratulations. enjoying watching the show uh live every day now
0: that's one of the best reasons to retire is they can just watch our show every day without yep. the burden of having to be at some stupid office yeah. well done and congratulations on your retirement man it's something i'm starting to plan for myself all right what's next I think I better start to, start too. <laughs> uh, Willoughby Sting writes,
2: you seem shocked at the cost of Odie and Lux. Here was the breakdown. Uh, two Dolby tickets were 44 pounds, and pounds are more than dollars. Uh, food, large popcorn, nachos, soft drinks, 27 pounds. We could have cut costs with a standard showing and on concessions, but that cost 58 pounds still. We couldn't justify it.
0: Um, But didn't you say it was like 90? Right, I, if I remember key. right, didn't you say it was like 90? Like, I... Yeah. Like I can see if you go to the top premium AMC screening on a Friday night in an AMC Dolby Dolby prime, you're spending 20 bucks a ticket. I can see that.
2: And then the food, if it was an AMC dine, AMC dine in, right. It would go even higher. Yeah. If
0: you wanted to spend that much, but I mean, if you just, if like I normally, Ann and I will normally go and have dinner first, like we'll go have dinner somewhere and then we'll go to the theater and I'll still get a bag of crappy AMC disgusting popcorn. (gasps) Uh, cause I can't help myself. I got to eat it. How does, uh, how does, uh,
2: Regal, I've never really been to a Regal.
0: You know what? I have, I rarely go to Regal simply mm-hmm. because they're not really, I've, ever since I've lived in LA An AMC theater has always been the closest one to me. Ann and I went to uh, Regal cinemas, like just for instance, we went to go see Guardians of the Galaxy at the advanced screening mm-hmm. at the Regal in, uh, at the Spectrum in Irvine, California. The popcorn was really quite good. Now, I don't know. Maybe the popcorn isn't all that good, Right. Maybe, maybe if you eat a four-day-old, you know, uh, filet of fish yes. that'll taste like Gordon Ramsay Gourmet if you're just used to eating piles of dog shit. that I mean, maybe. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm just so <laughs> used to eating? AMC's popcorn. Maybe I'm just so used to AMC's popcorn that once I had something that wasn't total bottom-of-the-barrel crap, I was like, "Oh my god, this is delicious!" But yeah, to me, the Regal popcorn tasted delicious.
2: I'll tell you one thing: you might already be aware of this. I only just found out, but apparently, ArcLight is on the comeback. Oh! And they're coming back to like Hollywood, Pasadena, whatever. So I loved ArcLight. ArcLight
0: had the, the best butter. popcorn.
2: Yeah, yeah. They had
0: real butter. They had, and by the way, their caramel corn mm. was top freaking notch too. I, I would love for them to make a comeback. All right, what's next?
2: Okay, Quantum of Zen writes, Hi crew, double bill suggestion, Robocop, uh the original, and Demolition Man could have <laughs> taken place in the same crazy world. Could have
0: you know what? Yeah, because there's like there's a dystopian element to the future of both of those. I never did understand the three shells, but you know, whatever, that's just me. <laughs> um yeah, that sounds that sounds good. But that is Demolition Man, right? That was that the one with the three shells? I think so. Was Demo-
2: Demolition Man was Stallone, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, the- yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was Wesley thinking snipes.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and and what's her name? Speed Sandra Girl. Bullock. Sandra Bullock, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the mystery of the three shells. I still yeah. got to figure that out. I've, I've never understood the three shells. All right, what's next? All right, Quantum of
2: Zen writes, uh, the mystery of how fast X will end just hit me. They're actually in the Matrix. It explains mm-hmm. everything.
0: Uh, again, listen. He's, so he's kind of not wrong. This goes back to the <laughs> thing that Michelle Rodriguez, of course, one of the longtime stars of Fast and Furious, and is fantastic and the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves that's what it's called right Honor Among Thieves I was just called Dungeons uh, and Dragons I think but so. Dungeons and Dragons she was fantastic in it um and guys you got to watch I think it's coming to streaming here in the next in the coming days but you got to watch Dungeons and Dragons it's fantastic so Michelle bummed Rodriguez that I missed is missed it that. It is Honor Among Thieves? No yeah but
2: I'm so bummed I missed
0: it. Oh it's so good. It's so entertaining. And you don't have to be a Dungeons and Dragons fan to appreciate it either. But A few weeks ago, she made the comment of, you know, she just watched the movie for the first time and she says the ending is going to blow everybody away. She goes, I watched the ending. My jaw was on the floor. I couldn't believe that we just did this. We're like, well, what on earth in a franchise where you literally put ludicrous in space in a car sealed with duct tape, what they really did in Fast 9, what on earth can you possibly do that would blow everybody away and make you wonder how on earth did we do this? Uh, Dom being cloned, uh, dinosaurs. That's what I'm thinking. Aliens. I'm thinking dinosaurs, baby. I'm thinking Vin Diesel fights the moon. <laughs> he takes on the moon and he wins because mm. he's Vin Diesel. Minions with the power. Minions, <laughs> minions show up. Yeah, because they're universal. Fast in the minions. Yeah, I mean, minions show the minions. up. There you go. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. It could be anything. All right, guys. With that down, that'll do it. For today's episode of the John Campus Show, thank you so much for being here, making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Don't forget to join us again for tomorrow's episode of the John Campus Show. Of course, Chris Carr will be back joining me again, and hopefully, most importantly, you guys will be here as well. So, for everybody in the room, Ray, back there, getting ready to do some barbecuing to watch the Laker game tonight. Back there, we got Jen, Jonathan <laughs> Voiko running the show. My name's John Campia. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.